Welcome to Feels Like Healing with me, Al Lewis, a podcast where I talk to artists about how creativity has helped them process their grief. The reason I'm making this podcast is because when I was 21, I lost my dad to MS. That seismic moment in my life made me decide to become a singer-songwriter. I'd been making music before that point, but never considered it a life choice or as a career. However, after the death of my dad, creativity became a solace for me and a way I could express both my joy and my pain. It made me feel alive in the very moment when I was confronted with the ephemeral nature of life and the devastating reality of loss. So I wanted to talk to other people who've ended up in the creative world, but who've also experienced loss, to see whether they have similar stories of why they got into creativity or whether they were already creative people and just happened to suffer grief. I hope during these conversations that I will come to better understand grief and why it makes us feel how we feel and do what we do. This is Feels Like Healing. My guest this week on Feels Like Healing is the presenter, actress, podcaster and musician, the multi-talented Tara Bethan. Tara Bethan is originally from North Wales and has been ever-present in the entertainment industry since she was a young girl, performing on stages in the Eisteddfod as well as the West End. And in 2008, she was a part of the BBC One search for a new Nancy in the programme called I Do Anything with Andrew Lloyd Webber. She's also been ever-present on Welsh language television on S4C and she has now had a rebirth as a singer, songwriter, musician under the moniker of Tara Bandito. The name hails from her dad's old stage name as a wrestler, El Bandito. And her latest album, which came out on the 27th of January, uh, deals with many subjects, including mental health and also grief about her dad, who died a year after that uh, recording of I'd Do Anything. So I wanted to talk to Tara about that and about the songs that she's written about her grief and about her dad and how being creative has helped her in that way. So, hello Tara, how are you? I'm good, Al, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I love talking about stuff like this, so this is going to be a joy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, of of course, because you are a dab hand at this, because you have your own podcast, Daur, which means brave in Welsh, uh, where you you talk to other people about mental health issues, don't you? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that all began during the lockdown life and my friend and I had both lost all of our work like many people did and um, she suggested that we try for an Arts Council grant um, to make a podcast. I think she'd listened to uh, Happy Place, Fern Cotton, which I'm a huge fan of. And she rang me and she said, I think you could do this because, you know, I'm that mate who always uncomfortably brings up all of the topics that nobody really wants to talk about around the dinner table. (laughs) Um, And it was something I was always a little bit, you know, embarrassed about and tried to keep it under wraps, but failed miserably. And then um, all of a sudden this this sort of thought of maybe I could turn it into something positive Mm. and maybe I could relate to other people about it. Um, was terrifying, (laughs) but also, you know, was such um, a life-changing thing for me. And the big thing was when we won the British Podcast Award for the best Welsh language podcast. Mm. That was a massive turning point for me in my life because it changed me from being 
a little bit ashamed and scared of my almost what I felt was indulgence in my grief. It changed it almost into a proudness of, well, I've I've gotten through that now, you know, and I've learned from it and I've grown from it. Yeah. So if we if we take you back a bit then to explain to people how you got to that point. Um, so as I briefly mentioned, you've you've been an entertainer for a long, long time in your life. When did that creative bug first hit you? And was it a feeling that you wanted to be an entertainer from a very young age? Or do you think the, it was more of just a hobby that you then fell into as a job? Um, what? I, I don't remember a time when it wasn't there, yeah. you know. I um, I came from a long line of performers. My On my mother's side, my granddad was a ventriloquist and mm. my grandmother was a sort of acrobatic ballet dancer. Cool. And they used to tour the country doing that. Then um, my mum danced until she was about 16, but she was really shy. So she gave that up. And as you mentioned, my dad was a wrestler. So I guess it was sort of a natural progression for me to try out a ballet class at three years old, because that's just, you know, what what people did I guess. Do you feel like you you had a, a duty to follow in their footsteps or did you actually feel like you genuinely enjoyed doing these things? Well again because it all began age three <laughs> I don't remember it yeah. but what I do remember is just you know like the duck to water thing everything I did and tried I loved and I think what I'm learning now is the big thing I was addicted to or that I became addicted to was praise Mm. and that is a real tough pill to swallow when you realize that that is the main reason you're doing things and the the big the, the the one main entity I was trying to get the praise from was my dad so when he passed away the biggest struggle then was giving myself a reason to do anything, you know? So it's in a way I had to completely and utterly start again at age 25. Was he, was he a praise giver or, or was that something you had to work hard for? Um, he kind of, he was and he wasn't, you know, like he, I think he was fair in hindsight. He, almost trained me up as if he was training up a lady wrestler kind of thing (laughs) you know like I'm tough and I'm also extremely sensitive and I think both of those things came from being extremely praised when I was doing well but also being explained to that if I hadn't done the job properly then we need to work on this you know Mm. Um, and maybe at five years old, that was a little bit <laughs> complicated to understand. Um, but, you know, it's been a long journey now of, of processing it all. And as you say, you know, I've, I've brought out my debut album this year and becoming Tara Bandito has been a, a huge, for me, end of a 13 year journey of processing First of all, grief and death and loss. But then I had loads of therapy. I was lucky enough to be able to afford therapy. And that takes you right back to childhood. So really, Mm. I've been processing 39 years. 
and now to just birth this album that is literally a documentation of my experience of 39 years of life, it kind of feels like, there we go. That's the end now of this really difficult, bumpy, lonely journey. And I'm now handing that in music form out to the world. And I feel that, you know, that the fact that that's timed with me turning 40 this year is like, right, I feel at peace with it Mm -hmm. and that I can hand it to other people and be like, I'm moving on now and I'm not going to be that Oh, that traumatized person anymore, you mm-hmm. know? I've I've learned I've learned how to just accept stuff and be like, okay, cool. Well the good thing is we like who we are now, so we shouldn't be hoping to change anything of the past because we wouldn't be we now, would yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. And do you feel that the creative process of making that album has been the biggest tool in you coming to that point then? I'd say definitely. It began with the podcast. That was the beginning of me, in a way, outing myself as an emotionally dramatic human being. And then, you know, when people relate to that and people say that they enjoy that and they thank you for being so honest, it's like, oh, maybe I'm not outing myself. Maybe there's nothing to out. Maybe I'm not the bad guy. Maybe I'm not overindulgent maybe I just had a bit of a weird journey and maybe I had it a bit younger than my friends Mm. and that made me seem dramatic and heavy and dark and intense but that was just where I was at because now I don't feel like that you know I feel like I've I've done the darkness and of course there will be darkness again but I feel like I've learned how to process it a bit better I think as well, you know, on the on the creative question, a part of my darkness has been my fear that I learned all these skills as a kid and that I was never really using them to mm-hmm. my benefit. And now as Tara Bandito, I go on stage and I do... I use every single skill that I've learned over <laughs> the years, be it as a performer or as a human... Um, and therefore, you know, the artistry in that has, has made me almost be able to own my grief through a tap dance or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so if we, if we do take you to back to that point of, of losing your dad, which seems like the, the pivot in your life, uh, as for a lot of people on this podcast, the, the point at which you lose that special person. What was your trajectory before that point, do you think? You were, as I said, you'd just been on I Do Anything, um, the search for a new Nancy on BBC One, you know, huge exposure on that show. Were you a creative person at that point in terms of were you writing songs? Were you looking to become an artist or was it more of a different trajectory before losing your dad? Oh, it was very different. I was a performing monkey. And what I realise now is, and no joke, I was running around just silently screaming, love me, love me, love me, love me, tell me I'm good, tell me I've done well. There was nothing coming from me. There was no real, there was no truth. It was just, please like me and tell me that I'm good. Mm. And I think, you know, that comes from being a child who was a performing monkey, but surrounded by 
children who were farmers' daughters and sons. And, you know, I grew up in a tiny village. I think, you know, you can relate to the North Whalian experience mm-hmm. growing up as a child. There aren't many wrestlers' daughters. No, that's There certainly for sure. aren't many kids who are jumping on a train every week to go to London to be in a show, mm. you know. Um, so I think a lot of the loneliness thing and being an only child, yeah. a lot of that made me want to be liked mm. and wanted me to, you know, I wanted to fit in. Mm. But the only way I knew how to be praised or liked, as it were, was by, you know, doing high kicks and b- being on stage so do you think do you think if your dad had lived for another say 10 years you'd have carried on down that path of pursuing uh praise and pursuing uh, like you say a career Mm. where people like in inverted commas you know what you're performing as Mm, definitely and you know not for a second do i blame him for that Mm. he was just doing his best you know giving his daughter as was my mother you know whatever opportunities they could and i'm very grateful and lucky that i got those opportunities um but it's a combination isn't i think a lot of people grow up not realizing that what they're doing is trying to please their parents Mm. Not everyone, yeah. Um, but a lot of us do, and I think there's a weird shame about admitting that. I had a lot of shame about admitting that for ages, because nobody talks about it. So you think you're the only one, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. then, eventually, when I s- sort of found my own path, and and finding my own path has become the being creative, you know. So I wrote my first ever song about two days after Dad died, which is the opening track isn't it of the album yeah, yeah which called six feet under i mean there you go yeah. heavy punch in the face this is where we're going with this album you nowhere to be seen but in my dreams repeating the beating did you go to the place they say we all go if deserving a place where we can sleep in peace forever or are you simply six feet under i wonder is it all wonderland neverland some language I don't understand that they all use. And, you know, I, I launched the album a week and a half ago. And I started the evening being carried through the crowd in a coffin. As you whilst do, yeah. six feet, as you do. And the music video that I've um, directed to go with it, which, again, I'm in a coffin is playing on a projected screen at the back of the stage. And that, for me, was me owning back, was reclaiming. I had so much fear of coffins. The year after my dad passed away, my best mate's mum passed away, and I walked into chapel, and I completely and utterly, my legs wouldn't work. 
I, I just sort of, I don't know, you know, like, it's like your your brain remembers the trauma and it thinks it's the same thing. Mm. So, you know, I remember when I saw my dad's coffin, first of all, I'd never seen a coffin before. And a week earlier, I'd seen death for the first time in my life, you know. Yeah. And to see a lifeless body was really traumatic for me. Mm. So then I needed to somehow be able to look at a coffin again. You can't go through life not being able to look at coffins for the rest of your life. It, it's part of life, isn't it? Um, a few years after that, then my friend, Carrie Soleri, asked me to read um, a poem in her father's funeral, standing in front of the coffin. So I spent hours rehearsing and rehearsing mm. this piece and imagining seeing the coffin. And then... Last year, we a, a gang of my friends and I lost a dear friend of ours and I was asked to sing three songs Oof, in that funeral, standing in front of the coffin. It is, um, but I was like, I'm doing this because this is the final piece of the jigsaw to me to go from, you know, my legs buckling a year after my dad died in my friend's mother's funeral to... I am going to honour my friend who shouldn't have passed away by giving what I can. You know, that sort of performing yeah. monkey in me thing. I'm going to use that for good now and I'm going to hold this together. I'm going to do it. And I did. And it, it just shows me that you can heal yourself. You've just got to do the work. Mm. And then you... But do a launch and arrive in a coffin. <laughs> well, yeah, that's you say, like that's owning your fear, isn't it? And uh, I've yeah. got I've got a massive phobia of needles, so maybe I should do something with needles oh my God, me too. in my next music do you video. Know what? Just surround myself Ow. with needles. <laughs> so I got a tattoo to try and oh. cure my fear of needles. <laughs> Did it work? I now have seventeen tattoos, wow. but I'm still terrified of needles. <laughs> So don't do that. It doesn't work, it doesn't kids. Work. Oh. It does not work. <laughs> yeah, no tattoos, kids. Well, not until you're 18 or whatever age you have to be. Um, but yeah, so you, I found that really interesting when you said that you wrote that piece 30... Did you say a few a few days, a few weeks after you died? Sorry, two days after my dad died. That song literally, like, puked out of me. So why do you think it took... 13, 13, 13 years. years, 12 years, yeah. Did you, when you first wrote it, did you think ever that you'd be releasing it or was it just purely a private thing for you? Completely private. It was, it was therapy for me, you know. I would say it's only about a year and a half since I decided I was going to release any music ever. Right. Um, and that's only because during lockdown I wrote some new songs I wanted to release a single and I asked my friend how how does one go about releasing a song because I thought I had this good song called Blair. Then he said ideally you'd have three songs so that we can release them in succession as maybe an EP. So we did that. And then 
then they went so well it was like oh should I just do an album should we just rather than an EP let's just whack them on an album and let's just do this and that's when I started looking through my back catalogue and was like actually let's go whole hog let's go like autobiography in music form let's do a music video as quickly as we can with every one of them on zero budget so I've been the costume designer, the director, the makeup artist. <laughs> so you've just got to, and again, you know, this is where all the skills came in of all the years of being a performing monkey, but then also teamed with the life skills of learning how to deal with a coffin. I will never forget seeing that red dragon flag draped over my father's coffin and just being like, what the hell is it all about? Like, this guy, this human who I've lived for is now in a box. Like what? That makes no sense to me. How is this real life? But then to go from there to actually, I will never forget that really dramatic, almost glamorous vision. And I'm going to put that in my music video about him being six feet under. So you know, I I feel grateful for all of the experiences that I've had because this album that I've brought out is the first time I've ever felt really proud of something that I've done because I know it's all my stuff and it's not just my ballet class lessons. It's my life. It's the horrible crap that we have to go through as humans that... I've managed to turn into something that I will, that has made me a better person because I'm not, I don't feel shit about myself. Am I allowed to swear? I just did. I don't feel bad about myself. You were mentioning there that, you know, it's taken that long. Had had you reached the point privately then where you were open about your grief and your dad's? Because for me personally, it's it's taken probably 15 years to be even able to have a conversation about dad I, I like you grew up in north wales in a rural community where people don't really talk about grief and particularly when it's a tragedy when someone's been taken too soon and yeah i would struggle immensely to to even bring that up how did you deal in the aftermath of losing your dad in not just being creative about it but just talking in general about him were you okay with that well, I think, first of all, to point out what you just said there is a really very important point, is when it's a tragedy, I think it's way harder for people to talk about it because it shouldn't have happened. And when things shouldn't have happened, people are even more scared to accidentally say the wrong thing or upset someone even mm. further than they already are. You know, I was lucky in the sense that I had my dad for 25 years of my life and he was an older dad he was 53 when he had me right, so yeah. it was and he was always quite poorly you know mm. I remember him when I was growing up he was always he had to take lots of tablets for you know this tablet to counteract this tablet to counteract this tablet I think arthritis was the root but then there was all the knock-on effects so for me, it was extremely sad that my my buddy and my hero, and as it turned out, my reason to get up in the morning, wasn't here anymore. But it wasn't completely and utterly 
shocking. Yeah. Uh, the shock was dealing with the new version of life. Mm. That is something that you don't know what it's going to be like until it hits you. And a big problem for me was that my mother and I, who were the two remaining family members, are very different people. <laughs> and we deal with things very differently. Mum... Is she a praise giver? You know, or or you're not or you didn't um, you don't seek it as much as you did from your dad perhaps no no and you know my mum is the sweetest woman in the world so in a way she feels like she doesn't have the authority to give praise which is interesting um but the biggest change the difference between her and i is as you are probably experiencing i love talking <laughs> i love I love diving into the middle of the storm and ripping it apart and assessing every molecule of that storm and then I feel like I understand it and then I can put it to bed. Whereas mum will put her fingers in her ears, fingers, close her eyes and be like, la 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 la, there's no storm, I don't know what he's talking about, there's no storm, there's no storm, who said a storm? Nobody said a storm. So for us to to try and coexist through the process of healing from the grief of losing our favourite person collectively, mm. that was a journey. And do you know what? Sometimes Alex still is. Um, because I make her sometimes go to places she doesn't want to go. <laughs> and that's harsh yeah, because, yeah. you know, I've lost a parent, but I haven't lost my life partner. Yeah. So I should just let her be, but I can't help it. Sometimes I just, I wanna, you know, it's so, it's still so visceral for me. Dad, like I have dreams sometimes. He had the biggest, fattest fingers and the softest skin on his hands. And sometimes I'll dream that I'm just holding his hand. And you know, I'm sure that is uncomfortable for some people to hear that, you know? But also, like, my mum came to my album launch, she stood in the audience watching a video play out of me in a coffin with a, a Welsh dragon flag draped over it, which is obviously gonna trigger memories yeah. for her. Then there's this, like, slow-mo stuff of my dad in black and white in the wrestling ring, and then her daughter passes her in a coffin to get onto the stage. And she was completely cool with all, with yeah, all of that. she was okay with that. Because that's showbiz, baby, okay, you yeah. know? So it's, it's tricky. I mean, I definitely made a lot of people uncomfortable in the last 13 years being so open about my experience of grief and my experience of life. I had a friend once who said to me, do you know that you say things that no one else says? Like, you, you say the things that we're not supposed to say. And I was like, do I? Now I realise, and then I went really, like, paranoid about it all and was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm walking around making everybody feel really uncomfortable. But now I'm like, actually, I'm just telling my truth. And I think people come to me now to talk about when they're struggling. It, on from the other side, being the 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 podcaster the person asking other people questions have you have you seen reflections of other people's issues and and has that helped you learn about yourself as well definitely definitely 
yeah, I mean, you must find it as well, right? That you, you in a way, you want to do this podcast because you want to learn how to heal. Absolutely. Uh, every week, somebody says a nugget of something, and I'm like, wow, yeah, that's that's really true, and that's how I feel. And yeah, like you say, that's that's priceless, isn't it? Really. Mm. I'm now trying to think of a nugget for you. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Well, I, I think you yeah, you, think you said one just earlier when you said when someone goes unexpectedly, that's what makes people find it harder to talk about it than if it's a uh, a death, a, a, an expected death. And I hadn't thought about it that mm. way before. So you've already given your nugget, Sarah, don't worry. I suppose what I've found interesting as well is, and what I wanted to explore was the the power of creativity and how all my guests have spoken about this and and that's what was my solace and it sounds like it's been your catharsis too is to put it down on paper and to to immortalize them in a way in in what you do creatively and I feel like whatever your trauma whatever you've been through like you say there are varying degrees of severity to all of this but there's a commonality at the end of the day in finding that solace in creativity don't you think definitely and i think what you my nugget from you today is immortalizing them and i've never really thought of it like that because i've been too busy making an album you know you're you're so in it that you can't really see it from the outside but i feel i feel quite emotional now now that you just said that because it's like oh my god yeah that's what i've gone and done in all my weird you know wearing my father's wrestling black velvet mexican hat yeah. with gold diamonds on. on it in my artwork for the album cover i'm i'm immortalizing him by calling myself tara bandito i'm immortalizing him and that is that makes me feel really nice i guess and yeah i mean this this writing thing i always begin the the writing process with the lyrics and for me it's sort of i'll feel something to an extremity which is daily occurrence unfortunately for me you know Carrie Saleri, who you've spoken to i'm going to say this you'll probably have to beep it out but she once called me the giant clitoris because i'm so sensitive <laughs> but that is you know that is me and I've had to learn how to handle being such a sensitive person and what I've learned is if I in my hour of need rather than need somebody else or rely on someone else because you're darkening someone else maybe with your moment of despair I write the words down and then in time I will turn it into a song and then it's out of me and as you say it's then immortalized yeah so as you've alluded to your album is out how do you feel your relationship with grief has changed now and do you feel like it's something you've resolved in the releasing of this album or do you think it'll be something you draw upon again in future work do you feel like you still have something that you need to process creatively about your dad I think, you know, anyone who's ever experienced anything that isn't good will probably agree that you can never 100% say we're done. 
that's never going to touch the sides with me again. I think I've definitely tried to own my stuff and I've cleared a lot of fear. So I would like to think that there are certain things that won't bother me in future, like coffins. Um, But one thing that I remember thinking very soon after dad died was, well, now what about mum? Because, you know, it was me, mum and dad always. And when dad passed away, mum moved straight to Tenerife. And, And now my biggest fear in life is knowing that my mum at 78 isn't going to last forever and how is that going to be because in my podcast I spoke to the musician Guy Toms who just lost his mother having Mm. lost his father quite a few years ago and he broke down and said basically once you lose them both the umbilical cord has been cut and for weeks after that I was like oh god how am I going to deal with that? And that, you know, so in answer to your question, no, (laughs) I'm not going to be invincible. I don't want my mum to not be here. You know, we've built a whole new relationship since my dad hasn't been here. We've become besties. You know, we hang out like besties. We get pissed like besties. We sing like besties. We fall out like besties. I don't want that person not to be here, but the reality is that's what's going to happen. And, it, and you know, if nature takes its course, then that will be the next death I experience. And shit, I hate that. But what I think I've gathered from talking to you today, Tara, is that you've, you've amassed the set of tools now and creativity being one of them, that like you are better prepared for these eventualities in life because like you say they are eventualities we can't hide away from them i think personally i I was very much the same mantra of of hiding and running away from death for a long long time i couldn't listen to music that related to death i couldn't watch films where somebody died and like you say there is a there is a such a a freedom from losing that uh fear of of just confronting what, like you say, is inevitable. You know, you're saying now you feel like that first album, you've dusted it off. Are you already starting to write more songs? Are you thinking about album two and what you want to write about? Yeah. It's like getting a tattoo, I think. Once you've done it once, (laughs) it's like, I need to do it again, I need to do it again. Um, I think, you know, it'll be hopefully less... less... uh, dramatic less coffin based less coffin based less less drama and a bit more fun but you know um i found out yesterday that i'd won best music video of 2022 with guapra cellar and the music video is loads of clips of me at 8 years old doing the dancha disco i saw that Did yeah you? cut to me emerging out of a lake with like this neon feathered headdress and neon feathered wings and it's all about um you know letting go of that little performing monkey who I I can't bear to look at myself doing stuff as a kid I'm such a precocious (laughs) little penis um but the reality is you know you've 
that is there's a part of that little girl who's still me so you've got to take that kid with you haven't you so mm. you know as much as it was grief based and coffin based it was also self-realization based and mm. as you say I've now got tools and I'd like to think that I'm using those tools to at least not go as as deep into like self-sabotage or self-hate and be a bit more like hang on a minute you're going down that route where you're giving yourself way too much of a hard time it's okay just keep going so you know I definitely I've already written two songs um for the next album that have happened in the last week and a half because it's like you're on a roll isn't it when your creative juices are flowing do you find that definitely definitely and it's uh and particularly if you find a thread of something that you want to talk about or get get off your chest. Yeah. I, think partic- I think another thing that is worth noting, um, and my friend pointed this out a few years ago, when you lose a parent and you haven't got your own family yet, I think that is a different thing to if mm-hmm. you have built managed to build your family and you are yeah. this new family. So, you know, at the moment, there's me and Will, my husband, and our little dog here, who's sleeping right next to me on my feet. <laughs> and, you know, I would love to be a mum. And as of yet, it's not happened for us. Um, but I think that will be a whole new world of writing. Because that's something I don't know of yet, what it's like to be responsible for other humans. And, you know, if we don't, because I'm 40 this year, if we don't manage it naturally, we will adopt. We've already said this, you know. So Have you covered that subject? Have you covered that subject in in song of this journey that you're on to to try and be a mum? Well, this is what I think is happening to me now. And one of the two new songs is about that. And I've never written about that before because I feel like I needed to get rid of all of the me stuff first. You know, the self-obsessive, egotistical, non-parent in me needed to get all that stuff out. But now all of a sudden I feel that now that that stuff is out, Right, what's this new thing that I know nothing about that I want to dive into and understand and 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 experience and witness and the highs and lows of it all and the complications of it. So that's that's I feel my next bit of journey is parenthood, however that is going to work, but also the the creation of art working on a part with how we become parents yeah songs about that journey that you're talking about i think i think more needs to be written about that because um yeah we're of a similar age you and i and i think i know a lot of friends um who are in a similar boat to you and i think it's it's a subject a bit like grief and death that we don't talk about oh we're trying for a baby and it's not happening nobody mm. I've and never, so many people are so I'm, I commend you Tara for putting that down on paper because I think a lot of people will relate and, uh, and need to hear that 
thank you very much for talking to me today, Tara. Diochum Baur, and um, I look forward to hearing the new music. I've been listening to Tara Bandita this morning. It's a great album, so everybody should go and listen to it. I'll put links in the bio for this podcast. And yeah, thanks very much, Diochum Baur. Thank you. I've loved this. I feel like three stone lighter, so Diochitiel. <laughs> The self-titled debut album by Tara Bandito is out now. You can find Tara on social media at Tara Bandito. Links to the songs that I use will be in the episode description. Remember to rate and subscribe to this podcast as it will help to spread the word about Feels Like Healing. Thanks for listening.